0: Welcome to Sound & Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound & Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your home studio in the school's legendary marathons and learn from dedicated artists and to expand as makers. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present a wide range of art making strategies combined with comprehensive critiques and inspirational discussions. Paradigm-shifting discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies in understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon. Generous partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden acrylics, mediums, and materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound & Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10-foot-by-40-foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Alexandria Grant is a Los Angeles-based artist who, through an exploration of the use of text and language in various media, painting, drawing, sculpture, film, and photography, probes ideas of translation, identity, dislocation, and social responsibility. Alexandra frequently collaborates with other artists, writers, and philosophers, often going so far as to have specific texts written as the impetus for her intricate paintings and sculptures. She's collaborated with author Michael Joyce, actor Keanu Reeves, artist Channing Hansen, amongst others. She's exhibited widely at galleries including Lowell Ryan Projects, Hunter Frazier Gallery, Knight Gallery, Gallery Le Long, Harris Lieberman Gallery, and at an institutions such as the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, the Broad Museum at Michigan State University, the Contemporary Museum of Baltimore, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and her work has been written about in the Los Angeles Times, White Hot Magazine, Freeze, Art in America, and Art Forum, amongst others. Her awards include the COLA Individual Artist Fellowship and the Paula Krasner Foundation grant, and her works are included in museum collections such as the LA County Museum of Art, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, the Orange County Museum of Art in Costa Mesa, and the Blanton Museum of Art in Austin, Texas. She's the creator of Grant Love Project, which has raised funds for arts-based nonprofits, including Heart of Los Angeles, Project Angel Food, Art of Asylum, the 18th Street Art Center, and LaxArt. In 2017, she co-founded X-Artist Books, a publishing house for artist-centered books. Publications have included collaborations with Diane de Prima, George Herms, Eve Wood, Etel Adnan, and Lynn Marie Kirby, amongst others, and are available online and in bookstores throughout Los Angeles, New York, and Paris. I spoke with alexandra about the connections between sports and art making writing and storytelling text and art collaboration and much more here's our conversation work from home where she can just be around more it's kind of nice you know
1: it is nice i mean we all got to um you know hunker down with our mammals and i think that it is a very unique experience and get closer to, to people who we, who we shared and bonded with over COVID. It was a big deal.
0: Yeah. Hunker down is kind of a great expression for that too. Hunker is a weird word, but it fits for that. You know, yeah, it's kind of rhymes with bunker. Um, speaking of hunkering, <laughs> we, I think we both, well, we were born near each other relatively, right? Aren't you from are you Ohio doing, originally?
1: You're an Ohio, Ohio. No, I'm
0: not. No, you're not going to be happy. Chestnut. About
1: this. You're a Buckeye. What are they? Buckeyes. Buckeye.
0: No, I I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is oh, you know, a similar, close, blue collary, you know, town nearby.
1: I you know I wish I I had more. Um, I love the Midwest, uh, but it's somewhere that I've gotten to know as an adult, Uh, as a child of two college professors, my birth in Ohio had more to do with the fact that my Scottish father and my Californian mother were teaching at Oberlin. And so I actually, I moved to Mexico when I was one with my mom. And so for me, I'm very proud of it, but I I feel a little bit disingenuous uh, uh, saying other than my side of birth that I know too much about Ohio culture.
2: right?
1: Um, but I, I do really love the American Midwest and, 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 you know, um, got to spend a lot of time in Nebraska and served on the board of the Bemis um, center. And so definitely love, love other landscapes.
0: Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I'm, brought that up in a way because when you see someone born in Ohio and it's someone born in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, you're like, Oh, there's, yeah, that's not far away. And then I read your bio and I was like, well, that is not, that was not my experience. (laughs) Like my parents were, my dad drove a truck, my mom cleaned houses. We, (laughs) I never left. I never really traveled much at all until, you know, like maybe soccer camp to like a few States away or whatever, but you know, you were off doing stuff and going I don't, places you know, and I w- learning I was languages. with my
1: parents who were, you know, and they had their unique cosmology. But one of the things that you fit into an idea I have is the important role that I've found that many artists that sports played in their lives, you know? And so I, I'm really as someone who came into sports a bit later. I played basketball at the end of high school and in the first three years of college um that I you know when people talk about how do you learn self-discipline as an artist how do you um you know work on things when they don't exist in anyone else's imagination I really think that that background in playing sports um and in, in you know that the actual exercise of going to the gym of working out of of doing the runs, I mean, doing all that physical labor um, that no one else can see is an act of imagination and, and, and honestly of will that I've never found something more than athletic disposition that translates to being an artist. I mean, art is very intellectual, but the actual physicality of it is, to me, it's very close to being a professional athlete. And so I wonder if you, like, what... Now I love interviewing the interviewer, but, but that's what a podcast is, is it's a back and forth, right? Yeah, so, right. I'm I not would interviewing.
0: Love we're just talking.
1: <laughs> I know we are, but I just love this opportunity to get to know you better. And so I just wonder like that exposure you're talking about, like that sports brought travel and, and it, but it brings so much more than that. Like learning how to lose, learning how to be resilient, learning to shake things off and learning you know, one of the things that when I teach art, I always talk about it, is like, where, like, okay, you know, this a young artist is like, oh, I just made this amazing thing. And here's my career. And you think, okay. So you've just had a, a revolutionary moment in your life, but relative to what already exists in the world, like, is it a big breakthrough moment right. or is it just a personal breakthrough moment? And I think sports also allows you to understand how to measure yourself vis-a-vis yourself and vis-a-vis like a context of excellence cca for graduate school named lee and lee would say you know i play baseball on the weekends but i would never call myself a professional baseball player and i think that that it's interesting art you know with art a lot of people say you know, I'm a professional artist but are they but are they but are they really no i don't (laughs) mean that judgment but like you know, what does it take to become, you know, you can, and I love the French sense of amateur that it means to love. Like there are people who, you know, to are making art who love that, but what does it, what's the difference between being an amateur artist and a, and a, and a professional artist. And I think sports for me is a model that's sanguine without being judgmental. So anyway, yeah. I think there were a lot of questions for you in there. I'd love oh to my hear God. more about.
0: You're already like my favorite person ever. <laughs> <laughs> you just tied together. I mean, I, so often I live in this world between the two worlds, you know, and I feel like yeah. there's a very common bridge. And I learned growing up that, you know, I didn't have much, we grew up kind of, you know, with not a lot of means. And I, there was yeah. a blue collar aesthetic in the household, but then that translated into other things. I wasn't the best soccer player, but I knew I had to practice really hard and play really yeah. hard, you know, and just bring that work ethic to it to, to sort of like get better at something to dedicate yourself to it to take it seriously you have teammates which is a cool thing about sports you learn like yep. you know responsibility to your teammates which artists don't necessarily have quite as much so um but yeah i learned a lot about working and in, in practice because you know how people in art say practice all the time now like that was never really a thing i feel like it's it's more common now where they talk about their practice but it is that you're practicing, you know what I mean? You're, you're And I played music, so I always practiced my instrument and, and I think that's it. It's the 10,000 hours, you know, like putting in the time to really dedicate yourself, to commit to it, to respect the medium of what you're doing, and then to get back from all the time that you put into it, a greater understanding about yourself or what you're trying to express that you can't just do necessarily if you dabble here and there. And like I, like uh, these days, past, you know, five years, a friend of mine and I are co-directors of a nonprofit youth travel soccer organization here in Brooklyn. And that commitment to seeing like, you know, I make art and I hang it and it, it it's nice and people go look at it and there's a conversation they have with that. And I love that. I love making art, but seeing the difference I'm making in kids' lives. And I know you do you know, work outside of the studio as far as engaging like nonprofit. So that has meant something so different to me, you know what I mean? And the impact that you can have on kids' lives in that sense is really amazing. So it, it doesn't take away from the stuff that I do in the studio. That's great. I think it enhances it because you have a, a deeper understanding about the impact that whatever you're making has in the world. And there's different avenues for that. They're all kind of linked in a way, which is nice.
1: Yeah. I think you touched on something about context and teamwork. I think I often, you know, I, I often say that there, there is no such thing as an artist as an Island. I mean, we're all part of a team, uh, whether it be the galleries that we work with, the curators, other artists organizing groups just depends on sort of this, the career stage, but context and those wonderful people to collaborate with that you click with, that's the team. And, yeah. you know, it'd be like uh, trying to talk about, I don't know, um, you know, LeBron James without the context of basketball itself or the team itself uh, that, that that really one is always in relationship. And I think that's so important. So I just want to sort of acknowledge like that the team model that comes from sports also puts into a better place any idea of of so-called genius. And um, then I want to thank you because I, I think that there is nothing better for kids than to be playing sports. And when I'm uh, able to visit schools or high schools, or colleges, and people ask me, what's the one thing? that you would recommend for an artist. And I always say it's to play sports and they look at me, you know, these poor kids who <laughs> never, you know, they're in the art class to avoid sports. And, and, <laughs> and I think it's, I don't know any women who are professional artists who have not played sports at some level. Oh, wow, and, that's interesting. and I've just, I've never, I ask everyone and you know, whether it was cheerleading or an amateur, this, that, that really that discipline, where, where do we learn it? Where, you know, where do we learn how to continually confront rejection? Um, You know, uh, the, the need to get better, the pursuit of something that's burning inside that no one else perhaps can see. And then also to understand the transition, I think sports is a great model for it where to be able to distinguish between a moment of like, a superlative moment where everything is going well, but you know it's like a luck or accidental. And then how do you spread that over a longer term period? So yeah. I really am grateful to you. I think sports, you know, all these after-school programs that um kids can experience that take them, especially when they're in the sort of like lowest quintiles of. Um, american society that that keeping kids uh positive engaged can help them get through high school and into college i mean these are experiences that that it's not about becoming a professional athlete or becoming an artist you know it really really is about learning skills learning how to relate
0: yeah i think you're the first person who ever uh, i've ever talked to really gets that connection most people just think like oh that's that's cool that's weird fun i, I <laughs> With you sports know, and art it makes sense
1: i think i'm aware of it in part because um i really notice when i'm not making art and when i'm not like going on long walks or doing yoga or you know whatever my sport yeah. practice looks like uh now um, that I feel that I, you know, I feel so much better when I'm both um, you know, obviously being active and 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 making art, that the two things in combination really bring me a lot of joy and peace and creativity and time for reflection. So I it's something that I feel um, you know, I think creativity and taking learning how to take care of your body are sort of like human rights issues in that, in in kids' educations, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's also interesting to model that. And so I appreciate that you as an artist are modeling that we're not just of one world, you know, that, that it's that, that being an artist is not the stereotype of a self-destructive personality. It's, it's a complex way of being in the world and the more complex and sort of generous and, 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 you know, I don't want to keep using the word positive, but, living like what does it really mean to be alive and to think about things in the long term um, that that's that's really important
0: well that's great that's you know what's funny i just thought of something when you were talking earlier about sports and i didn't draw this comparison before but there's a nice sort of analogy to you know because we make art and we really are passionate about it. And we believe that it's this great sort of force of expression. And then there's always this underlying like theme of like, yeah, but we don't really need art to live. Like, you know, it's it's not like water or food or whatever. And it's the same thing with sports. Sports has such a huge impact on people's lives and it's a game, you know, but it takes people away. It's so important for people to be active or to like people root for it. They find this sort of, I don't know, it's, it's you, you identify with people or you, you really have feel passionate about this thing and it's a game and the same thing with art. It's like, you know, yes, it's not necessarily, you know, needed for our survival as a species, but it's what creates, you know, something deeper to our existence, I believe, which is, it's kind of a nice parallel.
1: Yeah. I think organ. it's a way of organizing meeting and, and giving ourselves a sense of belonging, you know? Yeah,
0: Definitely. That's that's cool. And I didn't know you were a basketball player. So
1: I was and, and I w- I will admit that perhaps I'm um, not a great basketball player, but I really got a kick out of it and, and I like understood through it sort of the pageantry and the like how difficult it is to play a sport. Um Yeah. Uh, at, at much higher levels, but uh, I went to a small liberal arts uh, college in Pennsylvania. So that's another Pennsylvania connection. You and, go. you know, we really had a lot of fun driving around in vans, listening to, you know, the at the time, it was like all there was was the radio. And so people would, you know, be like, ah, oh, turn the Doobie brothers off. And, <laughs> you know, the fights over the radio, uh, something, uh, memories that I really, that I really treasure. And especially for me, it comes back to like this, the undergraduate experience I had was very academic and there wasn't a real sense of um, balancing the life of the mind with the life of the body. And right. so that's how I was able to do it was by playing sports. And, and it, it also, you know, I think that sense of, you know, even though it's artificial, it's like knowing a, se- a series of rules that are shared and and fought over and then understanding the the fun and the humor that come with uh that, that come with watching a good that come with watching a good game of you know kind of anything is really it's fun I you yeah. know I, I don't I don't take it too seriously uh in the sense of like if you were like well who are you a fan of right now of course I'm rooting for the Lakers um right. just saying just saying <laughs> uh <laughs> but you know but it's really, it really is a lot of fun. And, and, and also to understand pageantry, I think understanding I'm, I'm I'm as being in Berlin and I just got back from Poland and, you know, Zelensky was just here in Berlin over the weekend. And, and when you think about the pageantry of sports in relationship to the pageantry of war, I would rather have professional sports and healthy outlets uh, for yeah. sort of masculine energy that both, um, you know, genders. I mean, that everyone has, every human has. So I'd rather see the pageantry of of athletic competition than the the pageantry of war, yeah. any day. You know, sure. and I think it's really important to realize that as humans, we're never going to eradicate that 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 desire for competition and prove oneself physically. And I, I, again, I'd rather it be through um, you, you know it, the the physical choices we have or art it's music dance sport that these things are really important they're not uh in addition because you know emotions bottle up in people unless they're expressed and because we aren't teaching our children i mean you are and some parents are but we're not teaching our, our children how to communicate and express the feelings they have inside them that we need non-verbal ways
0: yeah and so many times where you you hear of these people who act out you know what i mean or who've are going through all this like trauma and they, you know, a lot of times they're just bottling. They don't have that outlet. You know, it's so important to have that outlet.
1: It really is. And, and it's interesting at a personal level, don't you think that we're talking about, wow, we have found in our lives, the desire to have, you know, like to have sports as part of our stories and continue be part of our lives and we also paint so we, i mean make art so i paint and and so there's that continued self expression i mean i don't feel that even though i do these activities I, it helps me keep in balance but if i don't do them for too long i'm like oh i really need to go on a walk or i really need to paint that i and I love this, this sense, um, the, the LA painter Steve Roden once told me that his greatest collaborator is himself. And I love that aspect of being a a, a painter because I get to like, go back and see what I did the day before and be like, yeah. wow, what's that? And so it's this continual collaboration that's with, with the conscious and unconscious sides of myself, um, which I really, I really love and value, um, and I'm glad one of the things that we come out of the pandemic being able to talk about is the importance of mental health. I think that it it's been greatly destigmatized by the pen, you know, the pandemic experience because we had to. I mean, yeah, so many people everyone were affected. Yeah? yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. Everyone was feeling down at some point. You know what I mean? It was just like a shared kind of like trauma that really, you know, um, open people's eyes up to the importance of being able to navigate you know those thoughts and emotions of dealing with something like that that so many people deal with in so many different ways so it's like well i can't relate to that person or why they would do that or think that but it's like when you have that you know unifying experience it kind of puts everyone on the same map in a way you know
1: absolutely did your art change during the pandemic
0: uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, I feel like it when I was in school, my artwork was a kind of hermetic. I was trying to figure things out, so I closed off the canvas and I kind of try to figure out what I'm doing. And then when I went to Skowhegan after school, I mean, I probably told this story, but you know, I was walking to my studio and a a lightning hit a tree and it fell into a power line and like knocked out the power to the area of the sculpture yard. And I was like, that's what I want to paint. Like, I want to paint day to day. Like, I don't want to make these sort of like insular. So I think from that point on, my work changes in relationship to my life and what I'm seeing and how I'm feeling. So I don't think that I so much purposefully tried to like quote unquote change my work, but I tried to let my experience in the world mold what I'm looking at and how I'm getting it out there. So I do think it changed it. I, I don't know if I could describe exactly how, but you know, it definitely went through something. <laughs> like us, like I, I went through something I'm changed. I don't know how, but it's definitely I mean, I wake up I'm like the same guy in a way, but but things definitely changed after that. It's so hard to see the forest from the trees, I think, you know,
1: yeah, I I, I for me, the experience was that I uh, got to spend a couple of years in Berlin during the pandemic and see how German culture and American culture handled the pandemic so differently. You know, the oh, Germans yeah. nationally had a plan about what COVID was and how to handle it and what the risks were. And I just remember flying from Los Angeles where people were, the disinformation was so massive that people were spraying their groceries with, with Clorox. (laughs) And I got to Germany and everything was open and like went to the mall. Everything in LA was boarded up and there were, you know, police everywhere because on top of the pandemic, there was this social uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement and, it was just so clear night and day what the media and information were creating just different, just different environments. Um, But I also learned about making work in a sense that was more temporary. So I was working on paper because I could bring it rolled up, you know, living in temporary spaces. uh, And that made me much more flexible. And I said this um, actually in a, in a, in an essay that I felt that my work comforted me. And I was just more aware of that. Not that I was down, but I just was like, I'm really here alone with my work, especially with the time difference in Berlin, you know, 9am everyone was asleep in LA. So the phone actually didn't start ringing until 6pm at night. So the days were unfettered and I really could work and walk and listen to books and just make work without interruption. And it just showed me sort of a depth of relationship to the work and that the work, because it wasn't for anyone, you know, we didn't understand the sense of time. Was this going to be a few months? Was it going to be years? How, how, you know, there was no audience at that point. I had a, a show up at the Orange County Museum of Art that I think it opened to the public maybe for just a couple of days, but then was up for months with no audience other than a, a wonderful dance troupe in Orange County, but it was so bizarre to this idea of not having a public. So who was the work for?
0: So weird, right? It's just like a total shift.
1: Enjoying making the work, enjoying. It was so strange. And so then the return to having an audience has been really interesting because I suddenly, you know, there's this opportunity to show the work and have people see it. And it's been wonderful because for me, I just became a much Um, I I guess a more joyful painter in the sense I was like, I don't have to follow my own. It's not even following on rules. It's just that I can just make the work without judgment that I just, why have so much judgment when you're alone by yourself? Like, it just didn't seem to make sense. I mean, there's, there's judgment and then there's like intellectual critic, critical mind of the art. And I got rid of the, I, I think I learned to question the judgment and keep the, sort of intellectual query intact and that has made the work just really wow okay I'm excited by it again spring has sprung you know and it's it's been really fun and and I want to say thanks for checking out the show in New York I really appreciate it
0: oh yeah no it was great you know it I feel like that was that happened with so many people too just on a day-to-day existence level like so many people were like wait why am I living here wait why am I in this job that I Don't like it all, or I mean, so many people just made these changes, you know, where they said, you know, you get into that rhythm of just, oh, this is what you do, and then something like that completely snapped it, you know. I I I think it has a big effect in that sense, and and you're, it's so true. Like once we were able to start engaging back into like being around people and sharing work and doing that sort of thing, it felt totally different. You know, it still feels different in a way.
1: It does because it's like, I I mean, it's almost, we, we had almost like a collective near death experience where some people, and I'm so sorry for their losses. People really, a lot of people lost a lot of family members and, and, and experienced first degree um, just terrible, uh, terrible devastation. And for those of us who didn't experience um, the, the death of, 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 of people, you know, in our immediate circles, we definitely experienced the death of a certain way of life. You know, it was a collective sense of mortality. And I think that it really brought into question, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? What makes me happy? What brings me joy? How do I get closer to feeling that as much as I can during the day?
0: Yeah, for sure it's it's yeah it's a it's a kind of thing i feel like it 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 hits you on a conceptual level on the surface and then it there's an underlying sort of like and it's hard to describe but i definitely have a little like that near-death experience that you hear so many people who have that where they live their life differently after that where they just you know it's not like every single second they're like i'm alive but they they have a general sense of like oh i'm just lucky to be doing this stuff you know You feel like you're playing with house money in a way or something.
1: Yeah, but I love your point too, It that it came down to like little decisions made every day where you're like, well, why would I do it this way? If I actually by myself, like taking the noise away of other people, like if I actually enjoy this other thing a little bit more and then, you know, we all develop these other ways of being that now it's sort of as the world has opened up again, how do we reconstitute the sort of, Person we be- we became in the pandemic with the opening up, right? So,
2: yeah.
1: um, I found even that I really uh, not uh, it's not agoraphobic, but now if, if I'm in giant groups of people, I think I'd rather go home and put my pajamas on. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that there are these moments that are, but then I'm very grateful for those as well. So it's it is it's a it's a shift, and I found too that I really um, want to communicate with people that I care about as, is is honestly and caringly as possible. That, that, that idea of busyness, of rush, you know, uh, that, that, that people are accessible because we don't have to visit them necessarily that zoom, you know, uh, that there's ways to be in touch without, without it being such an extraordinary effort. And I right. think zoom to your, per your point about how I changed the podcast that, I remember throwing a birthday party for my mom and there were friends of hers, you know, she's, uh, she was turning 80 or 81. There were friends of hers who'd always heard about each other, but never met until the group zoom because they are, you know, in countries all over the world, but in the zoom, it was like all these people could see each other's faces for the first time. And I, that kind of experience of, you know, I, I don't think we would have said everyone join in for a zoom at 11 a.m. You know, in this time, uh, before the pandemic. And now we take it seriously. And, yeah, and, and that in itself is a gift, not having to drive as much for your, you know, carbon footprint.
0: Right. I would joke that nowadays I get way less parking tickets for the podcast, <laughs> which is <laughs> a half joke, half truth. Um, I'm a, a true believer in sort of like the balance of things. Mm -hmm. you know and I feel like everything like what you know the the zoomification it's not as personal but then also you get to I feel like no matter what the change is there's going to be some upside and some downside to it so I always uh try to maintain an even keel when it comes to like thinking about changes or you know whatever it is I feel like it all kind of balances in one way or another it doesn't make it easier necessarily but yeah during the pandemic, I feel like we, or at least a lot of us, the only way we could share work was online. So yeah. it also added fuel into that fire of like, you know, the the sort of like online, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, it's great. So many people can see your stuff, but at the same time, they're not seeing the stuff stuff of it, you know what I mean? So it's kind yeah. of like a plus and minus. That,
1: no, know, I, people, that everyone sharing. described, they're like, oh, your work is so like the sense people had that my paintings were smooth is one thing I was like, Oh yeah, you can't see texture on zoom. So people were really, you know, I think that's what's so exciting to me about painting is that there's, it's still this physical, beautiful physical thing that has dimension and texture and smell. And, you know, you can look at from the side. And, and so I'm so appreciative to come back to painting. I mean, to be honest, we spend so much time looking at images as digital images. I'm always happy to move away from the digital back to the, to the material and the haptic. And, and right. I think painting, I'm so grateful to be practicing something that, um, that just feels, you know, so connected to the earth and cave people and and the primeval human desire to I don't, put our hands in materials. So
0: definitely yeah i i appreciate the because i do animation i do digital work and i appreciate the the intrinsic sort of like nuance and and exciting things that can happen in the medium of digital media for For that media, for what I'm making, in the same way that I love painting for that tactile in person, you know, they each give you different things, but when they jump over the line and like when painting presents itself as painting in a flat 2D image digitally, you know, it loses a little bit of its oomph, you know what I mean? Just like if you show a still of an animation or you print it out, it's not the same as that sound and that environment that you're in, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, and, and it reminds me a little bit of being in an art history class. And suddenly seeing the painting in real life and realizing that when you've seen something at its real scale, that it's completely, you know, a different experience. So I have to ask you a question because I sure. I feel that you might have completed one, if not more secret pandemic projects.
0: Oh, of course. Did you? Did you do a Yes, I did. They're I nice, totally. right? They're, I love it's them. It's a nice little thing.
1: <laughs> and are your secret Pandemic projects gonna come into the world? Or are you are you gonna are they things that are anomalous or how, do, how are you?
0: Um there are a couple things that have gone out, I guess, but not in like a show or something. Mm-hmm. Um and there's some things that'll just stay. I mean, I don't know if it's secret, but I was making uh I have them here. I was making my wife, because you know, we were stuck inside, I was <laughs> making her these paper flowers. Oh that, my
1: gosh, they're beautiful.
0: That wow. you know, it's all even the water paper. is like paper. So I was doing that and they exist in the world, but I'm not really showing them. Although at Miles is the first show I had after the pan- pandemic, I had a bouquet of these. Like <gasps> those there um, paper too? Yeah, beautiful. even even like the insides of them are Sorry, wow. people can't see it, but but yeah, I I Was I've done paper sculptures before, but I never really showed them much. But yeah, I was doing a bunch of those. What did you do?
1: Photographing them?
0: No, they just. Well, maybe I put. I'm sure during the pandemic I put them on Instagram or something. I was like, oh, I made some flowers for you know. But yeah, not really like showing showing them.
1: Yeah, I uh, I wrote a lot. That nice. was what I did on top of the painting. I found that um narrative and storytelling became really important to me, especially when I couldn't sleep, that that was a a fun series of problems to to sort of flesh out in my yeah. imagination. so i I and i I think in part because I was listening to so many books and so many ideas, so i I did a lot of of what I would call or is called creative writing and i i enjoyed it i let go had you done that before of, i had uh for fun and just had more time i suppose to do it than before and and it's been really fun i think um just taking the time to write i i love uh editing it's one of my favorite i love editing text and that's part of why i, I um started X artist books. And, and so I get such a kick out of it. And I just had more time and, and and got into writing. And it's funny, one of the projects, I'm not the only person uh, we uh, are are publishing it um, at X artist books, a book by Anu Vikram, who is a um, Los Angeles based curator and, and, and critic. And she wrote a novel. I understand, you know, I understand the, 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 that the need to tell stories and the importance um, sort of when you're that critique doesn't just need to come in the form of criticism that it can come and uh, just outlandish science fiction. And right, right. there's something, a tool, you know, as long as your brain is operating and uh, that editing, thinking through an idea, thinking through logic, that, that, that can be extraordinarily philosophical and also be fun. Yeah. So, so I think that was that was a, a sort of something that I allowed myself to do was just find pleasure in writing creative yeah,
0: that's that's great. I mean, I you know some people made bread.
1: <laughs> I'm gluten free, so gluten free bread is really hard to make, and I just you know, uh, yeah. would rather support someone else's you know experiments in the kitchen. Right, and, right. Uh... <laughs>
0: I can't remember. Did this happen to you too? Uh, like, I have post COVID, like linear time brain. Like, I can't remember yeah. when things like dates are just messed up now. But yeah, I think I was either because I, I wrote a book on the podcast and I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly when I started it, but it must have been before the pandemic. But, but I do remember writing during the pandemic. I mean, you had, yeah. you had so much time in one, sp- or at least I was in, we were in a small apartment in Brooklyn. So, you know and we did a hard like you know quarantine so you know there's only so much time you could spend doing one thing you wanted to move around and like change it up so but uh yeah writing though is not easy for me it wasn't (laughs) it was a bit of a a slog but uh, I mean it was great it's it's amazing to get the ideas out there in written form but but yeah it was a great challenge it's like working out you know sometimes like it's not fun but it's rewarding
1: Yeah. And then I I really have an accretion model. I, 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 I really, I look at artists who are able to work, you know, with a sense of confidence that they can do something quickly or in one gesture. And I am not that artist. I'm an artist of accretion and gradual building up and erasure and let's cut that part out and stick this other bit in and I love a, a, a longer editorial process, whether it comes yeah. to painting or a text. And I, again, it comes back to that sense of collaborating with yourself where you're like, okay, today didn't go so well, but tomorrow I'll look at that effort and then I'll be able to edit it. So that time and space of like almost, you know, that's that circling forward, I guess spiral, I don't I don't want to use spiraling, but you know, it's like doing loop-de-do's forward <laughs> for you. Yeah. You know, you're going forward, but also looking back, I think, building that and and almost feel like they're passing through or even leading themselves so i'm like okay my you know this feels like the right thing to do you know write this right. do this writing or do this kind of painting and and to follow that rather than enforce something um that is an idea from outside if that makes any yeah. sense
0: yeah i think yeah i think it's hard to do but um i i feel like i've been lucky to get a little bit of the gene of just like just do what you're compelled to do and don't yeah. overthink it. And yeah. I think that's difficult. I got kind of lucky with that, but, um, that's a
1: good gene to have. You know? Yeah.
0: I think, I think I kind of, you know, I don't, I'll give my parents credit for that because I think they kind of just let me do what I wanted to do. They were always supportive, you know, cause I started out in pre-med and they were like, Oh, that's great. And then I switched to art and they were like, yeah, just great. You know, they weren't, they were just always supportive, which was, I think that's important, you know,
1: were you, were you an only child?
0: No, I have an older brother. He's a curator at the Denver Art Museum. He's also oh, art-related. Well, it's architecture so, and design is what he Right.
1: Does. It's so interesting that the two of you ended up in, in this in this world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it's like my parents weren't, I mean, you know, blue-collar workers. and But Pittsburgh had a cool, like we went to the Carnegie Museum, and it was like Warhol- the air of Warhol is around. You know, yeah. it's kind of a an arts um, friendly city.
1: I think it is, and it's certainly a city with a strong aesthetic. You know, yeah, and and that has to do with obviously labor. You know, that there's a reason labor is articulated through the architecture. It's articulated through the importance of the universities and what's being taught and discovered there. Yeah. So.
0: When did you make your first, like, painting or, or work of art that was, like, you know, not, not to discredit it, but the stuff we're doing in art classes in high school or whatever it was. When did you make that first thing that you were like, I made that and yeah. you got that jolt, you know?
1: Yeah, I you know, I asked if you were an only child because I was... um, I'm in a way I'm very fortunate in that I was my mom's only child and that's who I grew up with, but my dad had other, had two other families. So I have both half siblings who are wonderful, but I never lived with them. So.
0: Oh, okay. um, So you had a little bit of both.
1: I had a little bit of both, but as the eldest, and uh, I really had such an imaginative childhood. I think that's part of what only children experience is that we are, you know, amusing ourselves and building worlds and, I, you know, for me, it's hard for me to pinpoint like when the art began Mm -hmm. and as a child, I was very interested in, you know, uh, creating a newspaper for a school assignment or, you know, if my three friends, if we were going to have our little club, then I, you know, made us ID cards, uh, with the club name and, you know, learned not to iron plastic, No, I, I was, very, but I was this kid who was like very uh, experimental, like, you know, bored at home, opened up this, you know, the spice cabinet and grew every seed. So it's like, you know, grew the popcorn into a plant like that for me, there was something about I don't want to say testing the world, but just like curiosity and and yeah. and so in a way i can tell you about projects my whole life but i have it's more this river that i feel uh that i'm on and have been and it's very maybe in the beginning i was a child and it was childish and now as an adult i i i really respond to this idea of like what, what's a second childhood as an adult and being connected to that uh what feels like a river of Play and curiosity. And I'm experiencing something. I turned 50 this year. I'm experiencing the beginning of um, returning to earlier work. So oh, yeah. uh, being asked, you know, th- this idea of like retrospecting. So like looking backward or, you know, I made a lot of ephemeral work that was very hard to photograph at the beginning of my career. And now people really want to see it again. And I'm like, well, it doesn't exist anymore. So I can make it again or recreate it from the pieces I've stored and and I think that idea of looking backward and then at the same time presenting something that's both old and new um is it's that's really interesting to find that through line so I think again it's that not spiral I want to call it I don't want to say roller coaster because roller coaster implies something negative negative. for me I love roller coasters but that like the loop of life yeah, like that you're looping that your loop one is looping forward is really yeah. exciting
0: so yeah because you kind of touch back i had a little bit of that in the pandemic where i was like reaching back cuz i started doing paper collages again which i took a long time off because my hands are like so like messed up from doing that for years and years but
1: yeah
0: but yeah i mean i'm we're pretty much the same age and i'm i'm almost there at 50 and and i feel that it's a really interesting thing that we lived through a time where there's just documentation. I mean, I'm sure I could dig up some slides of some stuff from graduate school maybe. Right. But it's not the same. I mean, there's no there's work that's just like, you know, some people have some of those old pieces, but you know, it's just there's work out there that, you know, that you even to the the early shows I had in the early 2000s, once in a while I'll come across one of those paintings and it's so weird. It's almost like a prior lifetime. And I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, it's crazy that it's been that long. But it's really interesting because you look at that work through the prism of time and it's like, you know, the, the sort of maybe the things in it that you're like, oh, well, I would have done that differently. But then there's something really great about where your mind is at that point And I don't know, seeing that from a different angle. Well,
1: and that sense of responsibility, I, um, this work I made early in my career, I made it around um, the work of a Polish poet named Wysława Zimborska. And I showed it, you know, fairly wi- widely in Los Angeles for a, a very young artist, but it was unphotographable. And now I have found an audience in Poland that's really interested in the work. And there's something almost like message in the bottle, which I kind Mm -hmm. of love is that oftentimes as artists, we're putting messages in the bottle and that you learn to be like that, that in itself, there's contentment in that, but then it's wild when people start receiving them and coming back and saying like, I got your message, yeah, you know, and having a response and you're like, okay, now I'm making work in response to the person who got my message. Or, you know, and that is to me, it's it, it, it feels very lucky and, and and different from the beginning of career. Like right now, right. I guess, you know, I don't want to say, call us mid career artist, but we are for, the, you know, we've been doing this for a couple of decades at least. And so it, it it's interesting to be be sort of at the beginning of new work that's, you know, and, and at the same time responsible for or to. Uh, work that was made two decades ago, and yeah. someone saying this is an Alexandra Grant, this is a you know calling the work by your name, and it's it's the a younger version, and I love that. That sense of time travel is 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 something new for me.
0: Yeah, it's kind of cool because it I don't know it it's like engaging in a moment of creativity from your past and having it reinterpreted in a way that we just normally don't do because we're always on to the next thing. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it gives it that life. Like I was in a band that recorded a couple of records and once in a blue moon, someone will send a message about like, oh, I found this record. Is this you? Or like, you know, really interested in it. And it's so weird because then that's something that I don't really do anymore, like as a band. Obviously, those members, right. it's it's not a thing anymore, but it's so interesting to to reflect in that way. I think it invigorates us or at least for myself, it invigorates me to keep my work going and fresh and doing what I'm doing because it's like, you know, you do feel like there's a conversation you're having with, you know, yourself in the past, which becomes pretty interesting, you know?
1: Well, I love the fact that the podcast and the way you're using it and that you published a book of these conversations is also putting words back into the mouth of artists or the mouths of artists at this particular time in their lives right that these are conversations that you're like oh this is interesting to me now rather than this person is going to be memorialized now because of some outside recognition that this is something and that and i love that the the publishing whether it's publishing through the podcast or publishing through the the book that you're allowing people to have this exchange with you of put uh, in giving voices back to them at this particular time.
0: Yeah. I, I, it's really fun for me because, you know, I speak to so many different people that sometimes I'll talk to people very like much earlier in their career, you know what I mean? And then sometimes I think to myself, Oh God, if I were doing it, like if I were a guest on a podcast in my twenties, like I don't know if I would have anything to say of it or you know but then of course i would but it would just be framed as like that emerging kind of like excitement whereas like and when you build up experience you reflect in a different way but i think both voices are really valid and it's really great to hear that for other people to hear artists at different stages of their life sometimes i feel bad for an artist if they're like oh well i kind of would you know once in a while, they'll be like, oh, was that good? Or, you know, I I feel like I didn't touch on certain things and it's really hard to encapsulate, you know, unfortunately I'm on this thing every week, putting my foot in my mouth. So I just like kind of roll with it. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's kind of liberating in a way, you know?
1: (laughs) No, absolutely. I think that idea too, that people have that that i mean we are doing a performance of some sort as artists but it's more private but the idea that we have to nail every single time that we speak is um it's it's great that 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 you feel that you've given yourself that permission to be more free and to be more open oh, have well, you I had
0: you have to at this point yeah. otherwise i would be you know I'd do five and be like crippled with like anxiety about what I, it, it, the beautiful thing about getting older or doing something. And, and you, I think people feel this way, maybe like in sports, whatever it is, but as you, you put in those hours and you become like you, you get into the rhythm of something, you start to not really care that much about that residual ephemeral stuff around it. You just get in the zone of doing it, which is, I think it's like a beautiful place to be, you know?
1: Well, thank you for inviting me into your zone. I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming into the um So, well, let's go back a little bit into your work. So there's this like ephemeral sort of, or like the earlier work you're talking about that's like not as documented. Like how did the work migrate, you know, from there to where where you are hanging in Chelsea right now?
1: So I began... I, I guess, to career in Los Angeles as someone who made sculpture and was turning poetic texts, mapping them through wire mm-hmm. in these very ephemeral sort of spider webs of, of text. And they were growing and growing. And then in realizing that um, I wanted to play, I was making, um, in reference to a great a Venezuelan artist named Giggle. I was calling them drawings without paper, and I was tracing the shadows of these words onto the wall. And so it was creating an optical illusion between the shadow and the drawing and the sculpture. And then wanting to make them sort of uh, not more portable, but I, I started making them on paper. And then I actually removed the wire itself and began trying to paint versions of the sculpture. And in that move to painting, suddenly career opened up for me. And so uh immediately was shown, you know, and had great opportunities, uh, museum, gallery, and and again, it's a I, I say this without cynicism, but it's just easier. I mean, uh just, I was in Zimborska, I just read this great line. Um from her Nobel Prize speech where she said that her poetry was unphotographable and i think that that there is something to that that art is ult- ultimately it is optical and so uh that that move into painting and drawing uh, really helped uh launch w- what i still do today and it Figuring out a path of interest, you know, uh, the early work with Slava Zimborska and then Michael Joyce, the hypertext poet. So I was looking at nonlinear text and through Michael, I met uh, Helen Sixu, who is someone that I admired greatly in writing and then did some uh, did a big project with her. And it, it really just I, I asked myself when I was in graduate school, like, what could I base my career around? And it, and in my head, I, it had to be the same thing when nobody was looking and everybody was looking. And, and the only answer I could find was that I love to read. I was a child who loved to read. I've always loved to read and then have it be responsible to the texts. Um, mm-hmm. So I've followed the curiosity of a reader and turned that into a, a way of, of of painting and, and, and uh, being in, in the world always um, sort of in awe of writers yeah. Um, and, and the spirit that I feel I get my spirits elevated when I read great writing and, um, want to paint from that place. So the work in a way, um, has shifted as I've collaborated with different writers over time. And, uh, I've been in one body of work since 2014, the Antigone's, uh, 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 you know, Sophocles' Antigone and this, this amazing quote, Um, I was born to love, not to hate, which I think has become a mantra for me personally. So like any mantra, it begins to work, you know, and, and when I think about that idea that if you repeat something enough, uh, that you are transformed by it, that's how I see the work. The work has been transformed by the mantra and the texts in this particular body of work has begun to dematerialize and become less important. The, all the rules I began the body of work. And so it's been really fun to see that the the this body of work I've been making for almost 10 years, which I can't believe that it hasn't been static, even though there's three elements, which are lines to be the rule of law and then the text, which is the voice of the young girl, Antigone, and then this messy spill of paint, which is supposed to, you know, represent the organic quality of life that this – that these three elements have just evolved and evolved. And I've really, you know, I wanted to move um, away from, I was a text, like a text image artist. And I found that every group show I was in, and I'm so pleased to have been in all these shows, but that I was in relationship to certain artists that there was a, there were like three shows in a row where I was hanging next to Mel Bachner, And I, and I thought this, my whole career that I'm not, that's not the relationship or the triangulation that I, that I see my work in relation to, because I did, I do see language as being both representational and abstract and I, so I I I wanted to push the work to be in relationship to abstraction. And I think the shift with the Antigone body of work has allowed me to do that. Um because ultimately I want to be like a ballerina of of the paint. I want to be able to show um that I love painting. You know, and yeah. that that it's really not just about writing, you know, that I'm not just writing paint, that I'm truly a, 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 a colorist. but the paintings are text based, but they're also abstract paintings. And I think, you know, that the work in Chelsea is it has moved from has become embodied, right? Like that the text began at the beginning of my career as sort of like an intellectual. Uh, and then I became a painter through the need to sort of figure out how to embody and then moved away and 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 it really have become a uh, moved away from it just being text image um into being abstract paintings with a voice in them,
0: yeah. I you know, in looking to show, I kept thinking of the word text as a shortened version of texture because the text really seems to be part of the texture of the painting and obviously if you can read English like you can't ignore you know that that sort of the words in there but you can't ignore it like in the same way as someone who's literate in painting I couldn't ignore the fact that it was like oh it feels like she's starting off with like this wash as this more expressive wide wash as a sort of background texture or like a first stage i mean i might be wrong in that but it just felt like that was happening and then there were these colonies of mark making that were sort of growing out of this sort of textural you know play with the fluidity and then there were you know these words sprouting out as like textures within that so it seemed it had this very organic feel to it in a way and i think the fact that the paintings all shared a similar cast of characters in a way but they were playing out they had different vibes and it felt different each time but there was a consistency to the process of it at least seemingly Mm -hmm. that it became a language you know that was developed throughout that space kept reading i forget exactly how it's mapped out but I kept accidentally reading the word stubborn in there. I don't uh, know why that's just, it just happened.
1: No, I think that's where it's born. And I think you read it as stubborn, which is great. Yeah. I, I, I love, but I love how, you know, when the text is mirrored and it creates this um, puzzle to be solved it, that I love the way the brain makes up a story. So right. stubborn. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, the other show that Miles is Beverly's, I kept seeing the word good. Like each, the sculptural yeah. paintings, I kept reading good. I was like, I said to Miles, like, what am I, is this wrong? Am I doing I was like, I don't think that's really was intended, but I see what you mean. You know, it was kind of like, yeah. our brain just goes places. You know what I mean? It'll, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really struck. by. I mean, you have to see, well, I mean, we're probably both aligned with this, but you kind of have to see him in person because the scale and the physicality, it's just, it's not the same in reproduction. You know, I get that stuff too. People see my stuff in reproduction and think it's all hyper flat and there's, it's very graphic. But when you see it in person, there's tons of like, you know, it's not super thick or whatever, but there's a lot of stuff happening there. You just kind of have to be in front of it to really feel it.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, people uh, wonder why we visit art museums or why we go, travel to look at art and it's because you have to see it in person you know you can try to understand a digital image but it's the experience and it's the experience of the contradiction there's something you were saying that just made me think a lot about um Foucault's idea of the heterotopia oh, yeah. and the notion that there's that there are these spaces where things are in contradiction. I mean, I think the example he gives is of a cemetery being a place where people, that's also a park where people can go on walks and have things that are really alive, trees and grass and flowers. And, um, and I think that that's, I love playing with the idea of, of two things that aren't, that could be seen as oppositional, but actually creating something third and bigger. So an example would be like the sun and the moon could be seen as opposite, but they create with those two points, a sense of a cosmology for us. And I, I, I like the fact that sort of back to my own career path that I, in the beginning, I was just, I was very focused on only the text and mapping the text. And it, it felt very, I mean, I don't want to say like it, 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 that I wanted a cosmos, and and yeah. and I literally, I think in allowing the 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 pandemic allowed me to put stars and dots and you know uh planets and and to become literally more celestial in the, what I was trying to paint, to paint space and um and 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 the smallness or largesse of a of a single voice in that space. And it's um it's become much more playful. But I do love that moment of interpretation, which is not mine. And you helped me complete, like, you know, seeing good in Beverly's work, seeing stubborn in this work. I, I think it's really fun that that there's like a great work of art has that openness to interpretation in my view.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, two points. One is, I think I read a lot of Foucault in Mel Bachner's seminar class that I was in. And, <laughs> and the second is, it's funny that when you talked about, well, people said like, well, why go to a museum? But no one ever wonders why go see a band live. And it's the same thing. It's like, it's such a different experience to see that band live than hearing it on record. Now, the record, hearing on record is great because it's something that has been composed and and sort of like, you know, fixed. And it's kind of like a piece. But then when you see it live, there's this open energy to it that's so different, you know. It's kind of the beauty of of, you know, it's, it's activated when you see it live. There's this, the, the environment and the situation mm-hmm. and all that. Are you a big music person?
1: I wouldn't, um, I am, but I wouldn't claim, um, you know, uh, to be someone that wouldn't define myself by my, um, appreciation of music. So for example, when you were talking about the show miles I, I was thinking about Goldberg variations and the importance of pattern and repetition and deviation. So for me, my appreciation of music often comes from sort of a mathematical listening t- to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love to listen to music in the studio. Uh, and so I love the idea of albums, which I know is, is might be a generational one. It's, our,
0: it's us. It's our it's us. age
1: records. I just <laughs> yeah. bought like, all these new out, like records. And it's just that idea of a longer story of telling like the, you know, I think in a show is an album, you know, like when you put on an art show and you're thinking about composition and, you know, it's like, you you can't just make one great song. You have to make six, eight, ten, and then how you have them in relationship to each other, the hanging of the show is like the ordering of a, of a physical album. So
0: I've said the same thing. I feel that totally. There's a com- there's a conversation that happens conceptually between the pieces in the show that is akin to hearing, you know, a ballad after like three really like yeah, energetic songs and then you get something slowed down and it totally is different than if you only hear that song by itself.
1: Right. Well, this idea of progression is something I feel responsible for as an artist is like, which Artwork are you going to experience first? Which one are you going to experience last? Yeah. How are you going to triangulate between pieces that are next to each other? And it's funny how hanging a show, you can make a model. I'm sure you've done this, and everything looks so perfect in the model. And then you show up in real life and the show is flat. Like it just doesn't have life. And so you then have to you know, the poor art handlers where you're like, actually, can you just try one more thing? And they're like, you know, moving things around for the 20th time, but then it clicks and then suddenly, you know, okay, the show is, is ready. And yeah. I, yeah.
0: Yeah. You don't know until you get it. I've, I don't know if this is embarrassing. I've never made a model for a show in my life. I always improvise. Like I, I can imagine it in my head and think, oh, this is probably looking to there and this so I'll imagine it, but I never go through with the model because I know I'm going to change stuff. I just feel like I can't, you know, I'm, I don't know. It's a weird thing to have. But um, did, I think spe- what I
1: will say, Brian, is that sure. um, models are often for others. Yes, that, that's that true. Models are for this agreement that we've gotten this far. And I, I always have the caveat in my, in my head, uh, at least, that everything will be moved around. But it gives that's- a sense of control. If there's right. a lot of people involved.
0: Yeah. That's very kind of you. I'm clearly lazy. <laughs> Although I, I will say that I'm very, um, I'm, uh, I'm open about how something's installed. Like I'm not like too, too particular unless I feel like, oh, that's just not looking good there, but I'm pretty open to the conversation. I'm, I am as well. I, I really I'm not am. one of those people's like, here's how it has to be, you know, I like a dialogue about it. Was there? Um, I'm asking this quickly because I'm going to forget it. I know. Was there specific music you were listening to when you made that show, or was it all over the place?
1: Hmm. That is such a good. I'm trying. Like I'm. I'm space time traveling back to uh, last year. I think that um, in the fall, I, I I've been listening to this uh, saga which is, I really find quite compelling. Um, uh, a young person who works with me recommended, you know, the greatest science fiction they'd ever read or heard. And I I, I think I, I have been listening to, you know, I, I want to say 60 hours of this one series. Oh, wow. And so I probably was listening to that. I listened to a lot of works of fiction. And so I, I when I think back, um there was a lot of uh literature going on deep sci-fi. Yeah. So that's cool.
0: Yeah. I um I often ask people what they think their artwork sounds like, if like if there's a musician or songs, and it usually throws people for a loop.
1: You know, I saw this thing on social media the other day where you can attach these like little electrodes to a plant and then music plays mm-hmm. and i think that if my paintings were going to make uh music it would be a little bit like that plant
0: oh that's cool yeah. there was an artist uh, rolf julius who i believe was german um had a really cool installation at the mattress factory in pittsburgh but i believe he he made music in relation to plants which is pretty cool
1: yeah, I think it, it would definitely have electronica and then maybe uh, maybe a voice. I, I think it, it, if I had to say, I think it would sound Icelandic. I'm just putting it up. Oh,
0: wow. That sounds cool. <laughs> Trying to think of Icelandic, electronic. Uh, yeah. I
1: mean, I need like Bjork or, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: I just have a feeling, yeah.
0: Do you know Thomas Knack? He's not Icelandic. He is Danish, but he um he did produce some of that Bjork stuff for the Vespertine record, I believe. But some of that he he recorded his opiate and I collaborated with him on some music and his stuff is pretty great. I will definitely
1: I would love to listen because it is something about discovering there like there is a materiality to to some of the experimental um. Like musicians that we're speaking of that I find really fascinating that you sense that play, but also the pattern. So, right. What about you? What in your last show, what were you listening to heavily? What was on repeat?
0: Oh my God. Um, wait, my last show. What was my last? Oh, right. Escape. Um, I'm all over the place. It, I don't know if I had a specific. I'm trying to think if it was a specific you know record or like a band that I was listening to a lot, but I'm pretty all over the place when it comes to music. I mean i it's it's diverse, so it was probably all over, but that work was really kind of um, I don't know, it was a little moody and isolating, so I think it was it would probably actually some of the imagery was my wife works in fashion. And she was sent to during the pandemic to Rodeo to do, to work on the store. And some of the photos she took of like empty storefronts and uh, Los Angeles scenery was kind of like epic, you know, and there's something about that. Like, what is luxury when no one can go out to buy it? Or, you know, it, it just had like this haunting feel to it. And I think there's some music that can give you this feeling of like. I don't know, the, there's a warmth but an emptiness to it or a coldness and a removal when it's mm-hmm. instrumental. So I think it, it was probably going in that direction.
1: Okay, thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah,
0: <sure. laughs> um, so but the Berlin thing, what, why are you in Berlin? Are you a, you're doing?
1: So I have, um, since 2020, I've had a studio here and yeah. really uh, feel a relationship to a community of artists and a series of ideas that, uh, to me is very exciting. So on this particular trip, I'm here, having just gone to uh, Poland mm-hmm. for a few days to work on a show for next year and uh to I have a f- a few things um that I'm doing for here in Berlin. So just trying to have the studio in both places. It really it is a painter when the the quality of light is so different here, and now it's, uh, you know, getting quite late and the, you know, it's, it's very bright because it's, it's further North. Um, right. The quality of paints is very different. So um, it's like, it's almost like I'm working on my painting balance. So I yeah. I move back and forth between bodies of work. Sometimes I take it rolled up on the plane uh, with me. Um, but it really is about the sense of community and wanting um, to have my work understood in different contexts, you know, whether it's, it's doing my uh, earlier Zimborska work in, in Warsaw, or I'm working on a project, um, for the C.A.P.C. in Bordeaux next year with Helen Sixou, so I'm going to go to Paris, uh, next week to, to catch up with her and work on some of our ideas. It's, it's sort of having a studio that's in relationship to, to, to some of those ideas, and I grew up, uh, really being, uh, because my mom was a professor and then a foreign service officer and my dad was, uh, um, uh, someone from the UK that, that I really enjoy being in relationship to an international community. And yeah. I do have that in LA, but it's a different community than the one I have here. And, and it, it just, it, it's, it was an exciting gift as part of the pandemic to, to be in relationship with artists here, whether it's, uh um you know tested a dean or you know variety of friends who have studios here uh it's it's been very exciting so as long as i can uh you know keep it going uh i will my mom um lives in europe so i'm able to see her more often so there's there's deeply personal reasons as well yeah, yeah. Uh, to have that and um I mean, it's funny, uh, just being in Germany, you know, as a tall person, I, I don't, I'm not the tallest person in a room when I'm in Germany, <laughs> you know, right,
2: right. and I, and
1: I think it's important to, to have that, um, that we, that in terms of identity, um, I, I moved so much as a child that I think I perhaps still have that, uh, need to, to, perceive myself in relationship to different contexts. So yeah, I love Los Angeles. It's, it's an incredible artist community, and I'm really honored to be working there. And I love looking at it uh, from a distance. Yeah. And, you know, also as an artist, I think you're, you're this too, is that we, when we have multiple disciplines that it's so important to build bridges and often, you know, it's really important to be in a different community because then you see your own community differently, but then you're able to talk about it differently, Right. you know? And I, I definitely, my career, um, which might seem unusual to other people, I follow invitations that I've been given. And so sometimes those are quite unusual and might be off the beaten path, but are incredibly, um, sweet and based on real human exchange. And that's, you know, I'm people, I was in Warsaw and, you know, it's one of, I've been now to to Poland, I don't know, five times. And I met a woman and she said, but why Poland? <laughs> and I, and I thought, you know, I'm so deep in that I needed to step back and say, well, you know, because my neighbor upstairs is a, you know, a Polish uh, curator and we met in the pandemic and, and, and developed a, a project. So, I think that um, the accidental, you know, we've both spoken about is like, there's something very truthful about the accident, you know, because yeah. the pretense is not there. And, and if you're, you know, you follow your, your feeling, your gut, you're it's like, I don't know, the flow, whatever you want to call it. So.
0: Yeah. I love travel. I think it's so, I mean, part of my work is about, like what I'm looking at and stuff. So it's, it's important for me, but I just love traveling and, you know, like Berlin seemed like a great place. I mean, I showed there, I only spent a little amount of time there, but it seemed like a really great energy there, but I was able to um, live and work in Japan over the summer for six weeks and make, make a small body of work there. And, you know, it was so great to just, it's so cool working somewhere else like that, you know, Not like a two-week residency, but where you can go and you're just in, you know, you're just there working. It was really kind of fun. You see your work differently. You see the landscape differently. All that stuff. It's like a, it's like an, I don't know, it's like a vitamin B shot or something for making art.
1: No, I agree. And I think the equivalent of, you know, there's artists and writers who, you know, did their work on the hotel stationery that it's like, what do you do when you're somewhere that's not your permanent home? You know, where do you buy your snacks? Like what, what is your first impulse? Like, what are you reacting to? And no, that, that discovery is, is it's really fresh. And oftentimes we're without the same responsibilities as at home. And so it's, 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 it's uh, a sense of those muscles. I don't know. It feels almost like dancing.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And you, you're, yeah, you're seeing stuff for the first time, a lot of times for the first time, or you're seeing it not in an environment where you're just used to, you know, everything jumps at you in a way, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like being a kid again in a way.
1: Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what you made in Japan.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. I'm. We're going back this summer for three weeks. Finally, it's been since pre-pandemic, so I mean, you know, it's we. We kind of had to put the pause on travel for a while, so it'll be nice to go back.
1: It'll be really exciting.
0: So, um, so you got the show up, and it just it opened fairly recently.
1: The show in New York opened. It opened the 27th and it's up of, uh, April 27th and it's going to be up until June 3rd. Nice. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I unfortunately can't go back to New York in that period of time, but I really do hope and believe, uh, and I want to make, I enjoy work and I want to make work where the artist doesn't have to be present to explain it. So right. I hope people see it and, and I really appreciate that you did and.
0: Oh, it looked great. It was a really cool show.
1: Yeah. Thank and you. I'm sorry I couldn't
0: make the opening. the whole, you know, teaching thing, but um, teaching go, is uh,
1: awesome. And I appreciate I the it. fact that you do it. I, I love it too. And every time I get a chance to visit a school, I just, I, it's, it was so exciting.
0: Careful. We might ask you to come out to Pennsylvania.
1: <laughs> I love, I would totally come. I love it. I since I don't teach full time, I just love these little moments sort of, of like acupuncture of getting to come and be a visiting artist. I was oh, in Micah. Yeah, yeah. it's,
0: like Ga- it's like a grandparent. You get, it, you get to come is. in and out, you get to like hang out, have fun, and oh then you leave gosh. and you don't have to.
1: <laughs> you are so accurate. It's like a grandparent and then you get to like, you know, throw all these ideas out and not take any responsibility for them because <laughs> you then just you're just leave. like, then, then you, you just, leave just leave and the poor, like you know full-time faculty are like what who told you what no i <laughs> know it's
0: it's great it's like it's this bolt of energy because you know yeah. and it's funny because most of the time it's like that but every once in a while you get a visiting artist who comes in and just destroys the place sets it on fire yeah. and like leaves and like a <laughs> just like a burnt path yeah. in their wake which is pretty great though too because it it forces everyone to just you know you, you're kind of like whoa what just happened you know, yeah. I, I think, it's, I, you it's know,
1: nice. it's, it, I think it's great there, you know, every art student has that story of the visiting artists who destroyed them. And then they built themselves back up. I and mean, yeah. we all have that story, but we also have that moment where, like, for example, Vito Acconci came to visit my studio when I was a student. Yeah. It was, <laughs> this is a good story. And I was making all my work. The writing was backwards and he just sat there and he was surprised by it and he didn't know what to say at first and then he just said it's like Alice in Wonderland and I'm on the other side of the looking glass and it was just for him you know Vito Acconci you know it wasn't about the work or it was just like he was having an experience about the text being backwards that was very interesting because he's so much about line and representation in relation to real space and uh yeah you know it's those moments that you remember like okay i'm on to something here you know i arrested the attention of someone with a restless mind so
0: you vetoed veto
1: (laughs) no but you know it's just those moments of clarity and that was a positive one for me that's
0: amazing that's really yeah that's really great i didn't have many of those in school (laughs)
1: School is rough. I mean, when people ask me about going to art school, I, you know, for me, it was a deprogramming. I had had a very academic background in CCA, the California College of the Arts had a lot of freedom. And I went through a almost a, a cathartic period where I realized that I needed to switch from sort of a rote way of learning um, to a way of self empowerment. And it yeah. was a safe place. Um, you know, how do you learn a profession? That's something I think in the arts that you just have to live, that there's no school. As long as art schools aren't teaching business, then we're not really preparing artists for the, for the profession. And I wish, right. and I think, and I hope that it is, it that, that more of those skills are being taught, but they it are. is, yeah. it's a haphazard you know, when you think about like what does it take to be an artist? Sometimes artists are the least creative people that I, you know, some artists are very good at understanding the context and the market and all those things and I have no judgment in fact. I find that fascinating. Like, yeah. What does it take? Um, so I you know, I think it's a lot of fun and and I I I I one of the things I love about being a visiting artist is that opportunity to have sympathy or empathy with a young artist and also to recognize like that this is the, to give permission, right? Like this is what a grandparent does, like to give permission to have fun again, Right. right? That to not take it so seriously and that this has to be fun and that the career is so hard that if you're not having fun when you're alone, then, then maybe like get, you know, that creative life, if that is being an artist, great, but creative life is what one is aiming for, right. like a really creative life, because I don't, I don't really believe in elevating one life over another. You know, I think we have yeah. different professions, but people at the height of their creativity in in, in our gardeners and lawyers and, you know, uh, people who are painting lines on the street, you know, it's, it's finding the joy in something and, and the world does not need joyless artists. I
2: agree. (laughs) That's so
1: true. So I can see that you're doing that. And, and, and I can tell just from this conversation that you're a good teacher.
0: Um, that's very kind of you. Mm. (laughs) Um, and I can tell that you're a very thoughtful, amazing artist. I mean, I had no idea that we would connect on the sports. There's so many really great the sports thing well, the other it. thing, and
1: then to like you know, circle back to that, i I think, um being someone again who's a six foot plus person that I'm asked about sports on a or, were you a model or were you a black basketball player is an easy conversation opener right. you know, neither of which yeah. is 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 accurate and uh but thank you. um but that idea of constantly people are trying to understand you, you know and right. and so the sports for me. Yeah. I think about it. I think about it all the time and I actually find that I, um, I would love, I mean, maybe this is your next, you know, I want there to be a book that to- really talks about the, the, the correlation and the connection between, how you know, the day to day of, of what it means to be a professional athlete and a professional artist. I think that that would really clear up some misconceptions Uh, For people.
0: All right. I think you just gave me permission. I'm going to write this down on my to do list the sports art book. I mean, how much fun is that, too? It's like combining two. Well, I mean, if you're into it, you know what I mean? Combining two really fun, great things. So thank you for that idea.
1: I, I think it's a really, I think it could be really strong, and I think it could help a lot of people understand you know, really look into the science and the, how the brain works and how health works and how creativity works. I mean, we, we still are so intellectual about it and not spiritual enough and not sort of physical enough about it. So, right. yeah.
0: That's a great idea. Will you write the forward?
1: <laughs> I'd be honored. I'd be honored. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me awesome. up. Awesome. <laughs> well i i i i feel that this is a good place for us to end this wonderful yeah. conversation.
0: thanks so much we'll for doing going. It. oh no i know it. i can talk forever um <laughs> but for people who want to check out your show it's up at miles McHenry gallery you're in the 21st street space and that's until up on june 3rd Until june 3rd and then yeah. you're on social media and also don't you want to talk about grant love a little bit maybe just sure uh
1: grant love project is uh an art project that i began in 2008 i have a book out called love with abrams that traces its history where i was trying to explore and model how uh make work to help fund nonprofit. um enterprises that they're involved in and beyond and uh that sort of is the impetus and you know like you i'm sure are asked all the time to donate artwork to different fundraisers and so thinking that through of uh and then got into trademarking my love symbol and then that continues to grow so it's the living art project that really is thinking through um the questions around philanthropy and how do we move to solidarity economy, uh, in, in a time of high capitalism. And then how, what does it mean to ask who isn't present at the table when we're at different art tables and, and how to do that in a way, um, that, that is, is, uh, productive, um, under the banner of love, which is such a complex, uh, sort of bridge. And then mm-hmm. X Artist Books, which is uh the the publishing house um that that I got to co-found in, in 2017. We have really amazing projects there and love uh, collaborating with artists at different stages of their career that can sometimes be pivotal when you publish a book as you know from your recent publication experience and you can always find me uh on social media at grant alexandra is the personal and at alexandra grant studio for the for just the art experience
0: amazing thanks so much for doing this it was great this to be and open invite to the studio when you're in new york
1: thank you i will definitely take you up on
0: of Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundvisionpodcast.com. You can find images at Instagram, at Podcast. Many thanks to Volcom Coffee Roasters, Golden Artist Colors, and the New York Studio School. Make sure you check them out. Many thanks to Alexandra. She has a show at Miles McHenry Gallery that's up for a few more weeks, so if you're in New York City, make sure you check it out and check out her work on her website and on Instagram a huge thank you to all the messages from people in response to Why I Make Art the book based on the Sound Vision podcast uh, you can find it wherever you get art books and you can get it online through the publisher at Altelier Editions if you can leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast it really helps and spread the word We got many great guests coming up on deck, so make sure you stay subscribed and stay tuned.